turn or open your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 20. We've been talking about the, the law and love for a number of weeks, and we start on the actual Ten Commandments this morning with commandment number one. And I want us to see two aspects of this. We'll look at one aspect this morning and another aspect, Lord willing, next week. Um, let me read it for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. One of the simplest of the commands as far as number of words and uh, the phrase that's there. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, when I imagine myself standing up here saying, okay, church, you should have no other gods before the true God. I'm thinking, you're thinking like me. Okay, got that. Don't we already all have that? You know, we understand the true God. We understand the command. He wants to be our sovereign, our Lord, our God. And we're good with that. We're not going to have any other gods. Check. Let's move on. But the more I thought about it, I said, well, if it's that easy, don't you think God would have known that? That it's so easy, I don't even need to say this one. So I started digging in a little bit more, found an interesting verse. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 20. Deuteronomy 31, verse 20. And uh, Moses is about to die and pass things on to Joshua and the people of God are about to go into the promised land. And this is what God is saying in that context. Deuteronomy 31, verse 20. For when I have brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. Well, don't you think God would have known that too? And he did. Our tendency is to break the command, the first commandment. We don't think that, but it's our tendency. And God says the tendency is especially true when you're in a land or a time of prosperity. He says, not until this generation goes into this land flowing with milk and honey, they have everything they need, I have provided it, and though I have provided it, they're going to be so full and so fat, have all that they need, they're not going to think they need me. And since as soon as you start thinking, I don't need a Redeemer, that's when you break the first commandment. And he knew it was going to happen, and it did happen. Now, most people would say, America is the most prosperous country in the world. I don't know if that's true or not. We're certainly prosperous, not as much in the last 18 months as we once were. We're about as half as prosperous as we used to be. And so we're wondering. But most of us still can, even with the inflation and the loss of 50% of what you've had in the market or whatever... You can still get in your car and go to the grocery store and eat your fill. Bring home the groceries and do what you want. 
And God describes that's the time when people break the first commandment. They turn from Him and do not worship and adore Him as they should. They have other gods. I want us to think about that for a minute. The first commandment, I think the the main intent of the first commandment is to get us directed on the object of our worship. The object is God. No one else. No other gods. The true God. That's the main intent. So commandment number one is about the object of worship. God and God alone. Commandment number two, don't make idols. It's about the manner of worship. Do it God's way, not our way. The third commandment, not to or to speak well of and for God, it, not to take the Lord's name in vain. It's about the language of worship. And then the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day, it's about the time involved in worship. So what you see, all four of the first four commandments are dealing with worship. And the object of worship is God. The manner of worship is described God's way. The language of worship not take his name in vain, speak differently. And then the fourth commandment, the, the time involved. It takes time to love somebody. And God wants to reserve quantity and quality time for our relationship. I've been talking to you about the commands being love commands. You see, the first four commands all about how do I love God? Somebody was to come to you and say, I, I need to love God more. How can I do that? Say, so, well... Have you tried the first four commandments? Like, what? Yeah, the the first commandment tells you how to focus on God as, as the object of your desire. You love Him first. The second command talks about how to love Him His way, not your way. The third command talks about how to use love language with God. And the fourth commandment is how you're always reserving time every week to love God. These are love commands... They are rules for a relationship of love with God. They're not legalistic regulations on how to earn salvation. We are redeemed, and as a redeemed people, God is telling us, this is what I want you to do to begin this loving relationship with me. And then as we get to commands 5 through 10... It talks about how to love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves, And we'll keep trying to come back to that and, and learn to do it this way so that we love God more and more and we love each other more and more as we go through these commands. But first of all, command none. number one is to have the object of our worship is God. So let's see the first thing here is it's the focus of our worship. The focus is God. No other gods confess God to be our first Love, our first love. Um, you know, many, many marriages struggle from this. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. You, you, just as we could enter into the first commandment and say, well, yeah, I'm not being unfaithful. I only have one God. Uh, so I got the first commandment checked off. You do that in marriage sometimes. and say, well, you know, I haven't committed adultery. I'm not running around on my spouse. So I'm a faithful spouse. Got that. No, no, that's not what the first commandment's about. That would be the seventh commandment. First commandment is about focus. Is God your focus? In, in, in marriage, you need time 
where you, you go to your spouse and say, you are the desire of my eyes. You're the desire of my heart. You are my treasure. You're the one I think about. You're the one I focus on. I can't wait to see you and be with you. Yes, there's no other gods, but you're the one and only. Happens in a love relationship, in marriage. It happens in our relationship with God. That we have to have these times like the Sabbath day where we're singing to God. Not just singing to one another. They both go hand in hand. But we, we have times of focused passion. I used to sometimes say, and people say, that's a little too casual for me. But there's times when I, you need to go get romantic with God. And you understand that. I mean, you need a love language. You need to, to speak with God and, and share with Him. There's none other. You're the one I love. You're the one I desire. You're the one I want to be with. You are my first and only. And that's what the focus of worship needs to be about. Um, that God is the object of our desire. Look at the um, uh, interesting passage. 2 Corinthians 6. Verses 14 through 17. I just want you to see the, the word. The, the words here. The language um, that's describing this relationship we have with God. 2 Corinthians 6. So I'm not really going to expound this text. I just want you to see the words. God's talking about uh, how we're not to be unfaithful to Him. And in the midst of telling us that, I just want you to see the description, God's description of our relationship. So 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says... Do not be unequally yoked. So what I'm talking about there is God considers us yoked. You know, a yoke was you put it around the collar of one uh, ox and then around you tie it to the other ox. Now they're yoked equally so that they can work as a team. And, and, and God sees us that way. We, we are bound. So I don't want you to be unequally yoked with the other, another God equally yoked with me uh, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers believe in me second phrase for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness again the description of our relationship is a partnership God sees us as partners we partner with him in righteousness so, so why would you partner with, with another next phrase or what fellowship has light with darkness again he's describing our relationship as a fellowship Fellowship, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a familiarity with one another that stays constant. Verse 15, what accord? So God, again, describing a relationship with us is that we are in agreement. We're in an accord together. Verse 16 uses that word. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. See that just the relationship terms? I'm with them. They are with me. They are mine. I am theirs. You know, how could we be separate? So you see this, this intimacy being described. Uh, 
Verse 17 at the end. Uh, don't touch unclean things, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, I hope that passage just helps you to see God's view of his relationship with you as his son or his daughter in Christ. It's, it's not a light thing to him. Commandment number one is don't make it a light thing to us. Don't have other gods. We have such an intimate relationship with the true God. Let's focus. Let's worship Him. Let's adore Him. Uh, he is ours. It'd be like um, if you're a married person going to a singles mingle. You know, I don't know what that is, but it, you know what I'm talking about. If, if you were going to a place where singles were gathered just to meet other singles... It could be a church function, it could be a bar, it could be anything. But it's, it's described as a singles event. And you go as a married person, but you don't tell anybody you're married. Well, there's something wrong with that, right? Because you're deceiving others. That you're available to mingle with singles when you're not available. You have an intimate relationship with a spouse. You shouldn't even be there. And if we go into this world as God's sons and daughters and we hide that fact that God's not our one and only, that He's not the relationship we prize most, you see, there's something wrong with that. And God is saying, don't have other gods. Make it known that I am your God. And there are no others. We are wed to one another. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my church. That's all wrapped up in the, the first commandment. That we're his. And he's ours. He wants to establish that. That's got to be established as the foundation for the rest of the commandments. Everything builds on this intimacy we are to have with God. Uh, this passionate relationship Psalm 95 talks about we are his sheep. We're in his pasture. Psalm 25, verse 15. Here's a verse. Maybe you haven't seen this one. Let, let's look at it real quick. Psalm 25, verse 15. Real short verse. Psalm 25, verse 15 says, My eyes are ever towards the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. Does that describe me? Does it describe you? I am always looking at the Lord. Or would it be a more accurate description? I am always looking at my phone. No, I'm always looking at the Lord. And if I'm entangled in some Whatever that's got me tied up, God's going to pluck me out. Because I'm always looking to Him. He's where my focus is. He's my heart and my desire. And I, I can't not look at God because He's so much of me and to me. First commandment is a heart that beats with passion to come and let us adore Him. Second 
part of this. Not only should our focus of worship be Christ, but our fullness. It needs to go deeper. Uh, we need to, when he says no other gods, I want to talk next week about common idols that we have. So I won't talk about it here, but instead of other gods being a part of our heart, no, our hearts are full of him. What he's wanting is an exclusive allegiance. Him and him alone. Um, the culture during, during Moses' day was very polytheistic. There were many gods. And it's that way today. There are many gods. God is looking for monotheistic. One God is what I want you to have. If I watch golf this afternoon, some announcer will probably say, well, the golf guards, gods aren't too happy with him today or something. We have golf gods in the land. We have baseball gods and football gods. We have all sorts of sports gods. We have food gods. We have sex gods. Gods are all through our land. Things people worship and adore um, and give their lives to. Sometimes we give them names. Sometimes we don't. But we focus on them as though they were our God. God says, I realize that's the world you live in. I want exclusive allegiance. I want to be the one and only. I want you to be full of me and no others. Now, you can see this clearly if you turn to Deuteronomy 6. This, when God was laying down these commands... They're in Deuteronomy 5. It gets to Deuteronomy 6. He tells dads and moms how to teach the commandments. And Deuteronomy 6 is really uh, how to do family devotions, how to uh, get these family commands, the Ten Commandments, into your home. And so it's quite a commentary on what we're talking about. He, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. So... He's, in the first three verses, he tells moms and dads, you need to teach these commandments all the time. Now, then he says, you can say, well, what do we need to teach? Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Monotheism, not polytheism. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And we know that's the summary. That's the foundation of the commandments is that we love one God. We're full of one God, not many gods, just one. This was the principle that we were to teach and still are to teach our children. It's one of the first jobs as a parent is, is to teach your children that of all the choices out there, you've got one. There's one true God. He's our focus and we are full. Full. We, we don't need to fill up with something else. We are full with Him. He satisfies us completely. There's one. And so we can devote ourselves completely to Him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. We can give it our all because He will always be enough. God's not asking for mere assent. He's not just asking for an intellectual exercise that you recognize He's God. He's asking for a lot more than that. He's demanding exclusive allegiance. You know, we, some, of, some of you raised in uh, churches where there's creeds and confessions have learned that shorter catechism and, and you use it to train up your children. And so you say from your kids' earliest words, who made you? 
They say God. What else did God make? Second question, all things. Third question, well, why did he make you in all things? For his own glory. Fourth question, well, what else did, I mean, how many gods are there? Are there more gods than one? I think is the question. And the answer is, no, there is only one God. Well, why do you teach those things? So that they can be obedient to the first commandment. There's only one God. He created me and all things. It's right that I focus on Him and love Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we're teaching them that's your first choice. Is to choose one God, the true God, and to love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what the catechisms are trying to to teach. Now, let's make this practical. Look at uh, Joshua 24, 15. Joshua 24, 15. And here, we looked at when Moses was kind of signing off. This is just before Joshua signs off as the leader. And he makes his statement. He's already brought them into the promised land. He's got them settled. Joshua 24, verse 15. He says, and if, evil, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, so that's back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You're now in the promised land. There's lots of gods here. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, recognition. Joshua says there's a, lot of, there's a lot of gods in the land. There's gods way in another country, way over there. There's gods right here. And there will be gods wherever you go. But there's one true God. He calls him here Yahweh. The God who's redeemed us. The God who's brought us out of Egypt and given us this wonderful land. There's one true God. As for me and my house, one choice. We serve him. As for me and my house, one choice. He is the one true God. I know you've got options. And you can choose them. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as my house is concerned, we have one choice. We will serve the Lord. I wonder, when I hear that from Joshua so strong, I hear parents today say, uh, David, I... You know, we haven't had our kids baptized or anything. I'm just going to wait and let my kids make that choice. I say, okay. But don't you think that's breaking the first commandment? What do you mean? Breaking the first commandment? No, they believe in God. I believe in God. Well, you're making a choice that it doesn't matter whether they choose the church that Christ died for. It doesn't matter whether they have a God-centered baptism or a man-centered baptism. You're going to just wait and have them choose. Instead of saying to them, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. You don't get a choice. You're in my house. And as for me and my house, we made a commitment a long time ago. We will serve the Lord. 
or it gets into, I'm going to let my kids just choose who their friends are. Is that not breaking the first commandment as well? I mean, you're saying it doesn't matter. They have a choice. There's many gods. They could choose a homosexual church in America, peer group, or they could choose a heterosexual peer group church. It's their choice. That's what you're saying? Or are you saying, as for me and my house, we, we have one choice. We're going to choose the Lord. And it gets into education, gets into what you watch on your phone or whatever. I'm going to let them make choices. Hopefully they'll make some good choices. Or do you say no? As for me and my house, that's what Joshua was saying. We start with the first commandment that there's only one God. There's only one choice. Yes, there's many gods, but not for us, not for me and my house. Because I am a redeemed son or daughter of God. And as one who has been redeemed, brought out of sin into the God's marvelous light, he is my only choice. I live for him, and my house lives for him. He bought me and my household. Joshua is saying that. I think Moses is saying that too. And I know there's, there's lots of things to think about there. I'm just trying to stir you up to obedience to the first commandment because it, it establishes a love relationship between us and God. That we're saying, God, there are so many choices, but you're it. You're it for me in my house. When I start my day, when I live my life, when I train my children, when we go out to hang with the world, you're it. You're the choice. You're number one. You're the focus of our heart, and we're full with you. We don't need other options. We're content with where you've brought us. Our allegiance is exclusively with you. Now, when you say that, there are new folks today that have not grown up in any ministry or any church, and they say, you know, if there are many gods, how do we know which God is the right God? So, which is why you know, I've put as the third point, God is to be affirmed, is to be the affirmed God of the Holy Scriptures. Yes, there are many gods. The one we're talking about, the one who has revealed himself in 66 books to us. And he reveals himself in the pages of this book. And there's no other God like that. The God of the Bible. That's the one we affirm. Look at Romans 10, uh, 14 through 17, describing this revelation to us. Romans 10. says, how will they, begin at verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. That's where it begins for us. Our faith, our belief and trust in God begins with the word of God. That we believe God has given us this book to reveal himself to us. And faith comes by somebody giving us the book, sharing the book with us, preaching the book to us. And God says to us when we hear it, believe, believe, trust me, have faith in me. God becomes our focus. God begins to fill us up with himself. And we grow. That's the God we serve. The God of the Bible. Um, There are many other gods. There are many influences all throughout the world. But God's revelation alone is what teaches us about God. Now that's important because we are living in a time where people want to reimagine God in many ways. I imagine God is like a woman. There's conferences on reimagining God as feminists. There are conferences on reimagining God as just psychological, touchy-feely. There's conferences on God being more subjective rather than objective fact from the Word of God. Um, In other words, there are people who want to make God in their image. They want to make God seem like us more and more. And God is saying, no, no, no. The God that you serve is the God that is described in the pages of Scripture, not described by your imagination, your heart, your feelings, your subjective thoughts, but through the objective, inerrant, infallible words that he's left us in the Bible. Uh, If God didn't choose to reveal himself to us, we wouldn't know anything. God has chosen to reveal himself. He's invisible. You wouldn't see him. I wouldn't see him unless he chose to reveal himself to us. He chooses to through the scriptures. So we've got to come back to the scriptures to see the God we worship. Um, And we're called to conform to him, not the other way around. Look at Romans 8.29. You all know Romans 8.28. All things work together for good, right? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The next verse. I want you to get it. Romans 8 verse 29. It tells you the the goal of predestination. Difficult doctrine for many. But Romans 8 verse 29 says. For those whom he foreknew or foreloved. He also predestined. And this is what predestination is about. Notice the next phrase. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God says, my plan for my people is that they look like Jesus. Jesus will be the first one to rise again from the dead. And then everyone in the church after him will be his brother, will follow him into a life of the resurrection. But I want to conform them to him. He is going to be the standard. Jesus is the standard. We conform to his image. We don't take God and try to make him like us. Conform him to our image. That would be... There's just so many reasons why that's wrong. But... That's what the world does. Constantly, well, I think God is like. Well, it doesn't matter what you think God is like. 
What matters is what does God say He is? Because He's conforming us to Him. He's the standard. You don't get to do it the other way. So as we think about the first commandment, I, yes, I, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and no other gods, and I am filled with Him. The God we're talking about is the God of the Scriptures. It may be online. I, a, a few years back, I did a, a series on the attributes, the description of God. And I think I preached about 40 some odd sermons, different characteristics of God. One of my greatest delights so if it's still out there, go listen to it. Um, I love doing it because I, it helped me focus on God and who He is, how wonderful He is. So many people image Him in so many ways. Um, give you a couple examples. You start reading books, people will say, Noah and the flood, that, well, that's just a story, it's a myth, right? They say the same thing about Jonah. Jonah's just a myth. There's no way man can live three days Three nights in a fish, you know. So it's, it's just got to be a myth. Why, why do they want to re-image it, change it? Because it's, it's a different view of God. They don't want a view of God that judges the world, that destroys people. They don't want a view of God that redeems people. Whole cities. The city of Nineveh. No, that wouldn't be fair. Or they don't want a view of God that will destroy whole nations. And those stories give you that view of God. They reveal to us God's passion for redemption, God's passion for justice. They tell us who God is. We don't get to choose who God is. We accept who God is and who, how He's revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures. Well... One last passage. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, describing the last days that we live in. The last days began with Christ, continuing to now. 2 Timothy 3, quite a description. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Understand this. This is the last days. There will come times of difficulty. People, why? Because people will be lovers of self. We got that. People will be lovers of money. We got that. They'll be proud. We got that. They'll be arrogant. Got that. Abusive. Got that. Disobedient to their parents. Got that. Ungrateful. Got that. Unholy. Got that. Heartless. Got that. Unappeasable. Irreconcilable. Got that. Slanderous. Oh, yeah. Without self-control. Uh-huh. Brutal. Not loving good. Yep. Treacherous. Mm -hmm. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. And catch this next phrase. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The whole description is they don't keep the first commandment. There's a whole list of idols there. They're not lovers of God. Have, they have the appearance of godliness, which means they're probably, he may be describing people who go to church. But denying its power, and then says, here's our counsel, avoid such people. Wow. Avoid such people. 
Those people are not going to lead you where you want to go. Those people will not help you keep the first commandment. Because those people don't love God. And if you don't keep the very base, easiest first commandment, you won't keep any of them. It's the foundation that your life starts with one God. He's the one you choose when you wake up and think about where you're going to go and what you're going to do. You follow Him. He is your God. He's your Lord. He's your sovereign. He's your master. Next slide, I gave you just some application. So just stop and evaluate. Are we faithful to have no other gods than the God of the Bible? Have we conjured up a God or a force or a spirit, a demon or anything? Have we received the God of the Bible? Are we imagining a God? Three, do, do we ever depart from the true God to serve a God of our imagination? Does God have a compartment in our lives? Or is He full? We're full of Him. Exclusive allegiance. Am I discovering who the true God is through regular study of the Scriptures? Or am I led by the values, ideas, and imaginations of the world and all of its gods around me? Let's pray together. Father, I come before you through Christ knowing that I need a Redeemer. There's no way I could approach your throne except through his grace because I have not treated you like my sovereign, like my Lord, like my God. Many times I've treated myself that way and neglected you. Father, we ask that you would forgive us that you would enable us to repent, to turn from so many options and turn us back to having our eyes on you and focused on you and so fixated on you that we see we're in love with your beauty and your glory and your majesty and your power and your sweetness and your redemption, your grace, your partnership, your fellowship. We're so equally yoked through Christ that we're overwhelmed. Father, forgive us for not putting what we ought to put into this relationship with you. Spending more time with other gods than you. We ask that you would turn us to you and make that clear to everyone around us that as for me and my house, we're yours. And it's not going to be contained.